Hello and welcome to the edition. I'm your host, Charlotte Henry. This week, goodness, I'm excited because obviously I am a huge deal on Substack, but I'm not quite as big a deal as The Anchor, which is the kind of Hollywood insider email. You've got to read it. Um, I'm joined by Sean McNulty, who kicks off the day every day for The Ankler with his The Wake Up email. Hi, Sean. How are you? Um, well, thank you. It's I have to say, I love The Ankler. I love how this independent business that started with Richard Rushfield writing a newsletter has grown into this really compelling, really vital, really finger on the pulse business. And as I say, it starts every morning with your newsletter. But there's all sorts of great stuff on there with your colleagues. Yeah, when we're, you know, working on some stuff, we just uh, had two new editions uh, this year. Two new writers came on, Elaine Lowe and uh, Peter Kiefer just joined, uh, I think, this past week, actually, um, or certainly this month in April. So, yeah, more to come, and but, but all with different kinds of points of view and different aspects of the business. It's not just redundancy on the same topic. So it's really interesting to see how it's growing and expanding. You know, Hollywood is a lot going on these days, which you cover, which we also cover a lot of other sectors. So it's good fun to see the intersections of this stuff as well as the hardcore Hollywood stuff too. Yeah, and I just think it's really inspiring to see an independent business spring out of, you know, one person's newsletter. I think it's fantastic. But as you say, there's a lot going in Hollywood and we have a lot to unpack. Uh, we're speaking just after Netflix did their their results. I think by the time people listen to this, they'll have dissected every little element of those because there wasn't that much to get into. But before the show, you and I were talking about Netflix games and we were like, Hmm. And I had to confess to you that I, I was looking into Netflix games for something else. And I was like, I actually had to contact customer support to be like, how do I do this? I was looking in the app on my iPhone for Netflix games. The app, that tab did not exist. It did exist eventually on my iPad. I, was, I didn't get it. It turns out, A, you have to have both a Netflix subscription and you have to get them from independently in the app store. It's a bit of a weird move that Netflix has made, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's early stages, which they've said as well in their defense. Um, mm -hmm. but they just, for a company that's so strategic about everything they do and very, and, and strategic and customer focused, the customer's number one. That's why they don't go to movie theaters. That's why all our movies are for our subscribers. You know, we're all about that business. This is not a consumer friendly thing at all. As you've just proven, uh, you have to, to contact customer service to figure out how do I even use this thing? And then when you use it, you don't even use it in the app. You have to then download a separate app for whatever game you want to play and you play it in that app. You have to, you know, and you have to re-enter your credentials for Netflix to get certified to prove you are a, you know, a paying yeah. Netflix subscriber. These, these are for Netflix subscribers only. So it's really against a couple of mantras there that Netflix holds at their core, which makes it a little more baffling. Not that they don't have a plan. They have not communicated it to any, you know, at all, clearly. And I think from a user point of view, it's even more, as you say, uh, who knows it's in a tree falls in the forest. Who knows what's even, who's even using this? They don't report any user data, no download data. No, you know, it's very broad. So it's a little bit of a, what's up here, but you know. Yeah. Not uh, I my mean, <laughs> I think if you and I are struggling to dig into it and understand right. it, that's what I, and, we're, yeah. and we're meant to spend our whole time thinking about these things, I feel like it's not making an impact on normal users, even if the games are good. I'm sure they are. Yeah, I, no and I've never is. quite understood why they want to take people outside the Netflix app. That's the bit I really couldn't get my head the, around. The long term thing, I mean, you can see is to do it in the app and, you know, do more cloud-based gaming, sure. which is a term, which I, I'm not a big gamer, full disclosure. So this is not my expertise, uh, nor do I play really any games at all. So 
uh, or haven't since I was probably 15 years old. But it is the the long again. What is the long term goal here? Probably is in theory to keep you inside the app and playing the games in the app. But they're nowhere near that right now. When there's no timeline for when that might even happen, so uh, it's a bit of a shoulder shrug. Yeah, it's a funny one, and we're actually talking on quite a big day for Netflix because 25 years on, they have decided they're not shipping DVDs anymore. For young <laughs> for younger listeners, DVDs were a physical disc if you wanted to watch movies they were a physical disc you had to put in a physical player and you could then watch one movie and you had to pay for it separately right Just to clarify. And this, yes and this was what netflix was uh, for a long period of time um until about 20 or maybe 2012 something like that 2010 um and you know you'd have that sense of excitement when it came in the mail your your movies here you can you can watch your movie tonight is it going to come today or tomorrow you know the battles with the u.s post office over mailing fees and these were the stories around netflix you know 20 years ago so it is funny to think about it that it's uh changed so uh no longer yeah it's funny to me that they kept it going so long really i mean fair play i guess there must have been (laughs) some people who were still Uh, uh, yeah, a friend texted me saying my parents are going to be devastated. So there is certainly a demo for it. Um, and Elaine yeah. Lowe, who works with me, said it was $150 million a year business. So, like, again, they made $8.1 billion in the first quarter. So, but not nothing. So, who knows? Maybe somebody will come in and take it. Who knows? Kind of a joke. Well, as we saw, I mentioned this on last week's show as well. The fu- very funny uh, LinkedIn post from Mark Randolph a few days ago talking about how he went to Blockbuster with the CFO and Reed Hastings. And they were like, do you want to buy us for 50 million? And Blockbuster laughed them out the door. And uh, I think basically the end of that message was now who's laughing. But anyway, so the physical DVDs have gone. It's kind of an intriguing moment. But on this kind of back to the future theme, I was traveling around London and I noticed a lot of, you know, very normal movie adverts, which you get all obviously on the tube and public transport, whatever, very normal. But quite a few of them had the line on it in theatres only. Now, this is a big development. You're, you've been following for quite a long time at the Ankler. How post-pandemic, pe- you know, movie makers are trying to get people A, back into theatre and B, to pay for their stuff whichever way. Uh, what are you hearing from the people in kind of, first of all, in Hollywood about what they're leaning towards for getting people back, why they want people back in theatres. And actually, do consumers want that anymore? I mean, clearly, I mean, you look at Super Mario Brothers, which uh, is a massive, you know, one of the biggest movies, probably one of the most profitable films, uh, definitely of the year, if not, you know, of all time in a certain sense, that's already getting close to probably a billion dollars as of uh, this upcoming weekend globally. Um, Yeah, I mean, why you're seeing that messaging, there's two, I mean, probably two main reasons. Number one is because, A, there's a large contingent of streaming films, which also get advertised. Um, So you want to make sure that your audience knows this is not a streaming film or that your message is so versus the you know the Apple TV ads and Netflix ads and whatever else you know you might see out there. So number one is a differentiation of like, hey, you need to see this here. And then secondly is to again reinforce that this is the place to see movies and this is where we want you we meaning the hollywood studios want you to see the film why do you do this because look in the streaming mania whatever you want to call it the late 2010s everybody forgot their business model and why how hollywood makes money and that is in short windows so they don't sell you the movie once they sell it to you three or four times 
So you go pay it in the theater, and then maybe you would formally buy a DVD or a digital download, or maybe you rent it at home, or you know that you have that window which we call PVOD, and then inadvertently you would pay for it when you watch it on Netflix, not you know specifically, but you pay for Netflix, you're inadvertently paying for them to license this film for you, so the the studio gets another check for that film. So the studio is being paid in these multiple windows, and then there's you know the basic cable window. So when it airs on a on a cable network or like a, even a, a Pluto or a streaming a free streaming service, that's another check that the studio gets. When you put a when you put a streaming film directly on streaming, you have one window, and that window is basically uh, that subscriber fee you pay to you know Netflix or Amazon episode, that yeah. month. That is it, because then that film as in the current thinking stays on that service in perpetuity and there's no other check to be had for that movie. So that, and that movie doesn't cost any less. It still costs you still got to pay Ben Affleck $20 million. So that's where everybody kind of was like, wait a second, was that such a hard, why do we throw that old model out that was working for us for no reason in the streaming mania that took place in the late, late 2010s. And now what you're seeing is a return to that, we have to reinforce this window because this is how our business works financially. So that's what, a lot of why you're seeing that emphasis on that on the advertising. But that whole business model is predicated on people actually wanting to go to a cinema, sit around other people, buy overpriced food and drink <laughs> from the concession stands and not be in their own home. Now, I actually think I'm not a huge cinema guy, but there are there's quite a lot to say for the experience. I went last uh, film I saw in, in the cinema was She Said, uh, the New York Times the story, of the New York Times and Harvey Weinstein one, and I went basically because I really wanted to see it and I didn't want to wait for it to turn up on another platform. I just wanted to see the the movie, um, and so I get that. But are we seeing evidence that people are really desperate to get back to to movie theaters? Yeah, and, and look, there's always that broad term people. So it's you know, uh, there you know, <laughs> who are we talking about? Oh, um, and in Hollywood, it, it's a very broad term. Well, exactly, and it's thrown around a lot of like you know. So even uh, you know, Super Mario, the the estimate in the U.S. was uh, 17 million tickets sold. Very impressive. That's below the size uh, the size of an average NFL football game on 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 Saturday. You know, the, yeah, I was going to say. And, you know, so you know, understand that that is a part of America. So you know, there's but there is. There was just this belief, this pervasive people wanted to see the movie theaters fail. And I, I, it's a weird thing that exists of people wanting to see things crumble. You know, um, but we're not going back to the movies. People hate movie going, blah, 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 blah. People hate going to the movies. Well, you know what? You know, there are a lot of people who love going to the movies. Not everybody can afford to do other things. It's a, it's a form of entertainment to get out of the house with your family that a lot of people who maybe make more money or do whatever don't quite have a lot more options or whatever it might be and some people just like going to the movies with their families or with by themselves on a sunday or whatever it is so they're coming back people are coming back so the, the thing that's maybe changing or, or maybe even just clarifying a bit are the kinds of films mm. that people are going to go pay to see and that's yes. probably what we're talking about here it's not that people don't want to go back to the, the 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 theater it's more about your what got you out it was that film but it wasn't uh creed three or you know but somebody else went out for Creed 3 and John Wick and they were there for all of March, you know, whatever it is. And it's providing that kind of array of films to get different kinds of moviegoers back. There was a film, you know, uh, A Man Called Otto and uh, 80 for Brady for those older, you know, well, older people come down back to theaters and they do. It's, you know, this myth that people don't want to go back is, you know, kind of took, took hold for some reason. But 
I always love the example, even in the dead of the pandemic, you know, the pandemic, you're talking, this is February, uh, you know, the vaccine had just, you know, kind of come out, you know, Tom and Jerry, this mm. Warner Brothers film that, you know, got a 30% Rotten Tomatoes rating, which was probably kind, did, you know, $14 million in the US on opening weekend. In the, you know, so people, it's dead of winter here. There's a contingent that just wants to get out of their house with their kids for yeah. three hours. So family films, you know, which is what Super Mario is proven. Puss in Boots had did amazing business yeah. for four months, but Hollywood is making a lot less of these. Actually, wrote about this in the in the wake up uh, last week about this. I think last week, this, this month, about how you know family films used to be this big genre for Hollywood, but for some reason. They've kind of really cut back and abandoned it. And it's this summer has more films coming back, but Super Mario just proves this point. And then you have certainly the franchises. Action seems to be working pretty well. John, you know, uh, sequels and things like that. And then horror is is doing, uh, still doing very. Megan did great business. You know, yeah. that, that that's still very very strong. What's I have not to say, there, I couldn't stomach that one. That <laughs> What's not there or so far? Again, you can always prove the case point is comedy, which. Hasn't had a lot of shots on, you know, shots on goal yet. There's a few this summer that are a movie called Joyride coming out. It's a movie with Sebastian Maniscalco, some kind of lower budget. Could it be that edgy comedy that could take off kind of thing? Um, Jennifer Lawrence is an R-rated comedy coming out. Also, they're all in June for some reason. <laughs> Memorial, they're in a five-week period, which Hollywood does these dumb things from time to time and puts them all together. So comedy is the big test. Will people come back out for that? And then adult films, films for adults. I, you know, whatever yeah, you want to call it, Oscar films. Yeah. The, the She Sets of the World, which did not do anything. They, they thank you for your business, I'm sure, but that movie uh-huh. did not do well. No. Uh, the Oscar films have not had a business... Good. I was going to say that back. was not a smash hit in the. No, not. I mean, a, I was pleased to have seen it, but it it wasn't a. It a smash kind of hit. flatlined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the question of what's good, what people will pay for to come back, and how do you, you know, that's that's the big kind of thing we're finding out now. Yeah, as you're describing what works and what hasn't worked, all I can think of is IP franchises. They're the words <laughs> that are jumping into my head because most of the things that have worked are big name franchises that everyone knows. Puss in Boots for Shrek all the action we could list all the marvel movies which always get people to the cinema um you know all that kind of high value ip and that i wonder if that really is the future of the cinema some of the other stuff is just going to have to go on streaming services for people to see it or you know not have to worry expect to do big numbers in theaters and you know, I went to the James Bond movie, the latest James Bond movie, and I would not have wanted to watch that at home. I really wanted right. the cinema experience to see that, and I'm really pleased I did that. But they, those kind of work in the cinema, don't they? And just some of the other stuff, I just can't see that coming back. Yeah, I mean, that's also not new. I mean, Hollywood's sure. making sequels for, you know, it's, so it's not like it's that's a trend that's new after the pandemic or, you know, and maybe it's a little bit more it so. Just feels, and, it feels really acute to me that what yeah, everyone is drilling down on is the things that they know are going to be a home run swing. It's the things that, because we're talking about volume of films released, right? And though that volume is still there. It's the other volume that's not. So it makes that sequel volume seem larger. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. don't have anything else to fill out not the gaps per se, but the in-betweens of all that stuff, you know, and, and look right now we're in a really bad, not bad or a good example of that. We were, we've had six weeks of, we're actually probably seven weeks of sequels being the lead release every week. So we're certainly in that right now we have it, but uh, um, there's a few films coming out in the next few weeks, which are original films, things like that. But that is the question of how many original films and what that takes to launch 
again, they're, and they're mostly quote unquote films for adults. Again, a man called Otto was not a franchise, but it's, no. and, and it's having different sizes of hits. And it's, it's going back to that. We call them singles and doubles in Hollywood, which are not the Marvel films making $500 million, but it's the man called Otto, which makes a hundred million and change. And if you make it for the right price, it's a nice piece of business and it'll do well for a long piece, long time. So that has to come back. And that is a big question mark. You're entirely right. Yeah, and, and I found, obviously, on this show, it, we focus a lot on the tech side of things and the kind of streaming and the digital side of things, which is often perceived as the opposite to what you're describing and what you often talk about at, at, at the Ankler with, you know, the focus on Hollywood and the pre- big premieres and the awards and the movie theatres. And it's, it's just, I think you're right when you say that actually these two kind of imply that these two things shouldn't be in conflict with each other because streaming shouldn't stop people going to the movies. It should just give people more options, right? Yeah, it's consumer choice. Um, And look, some people, again, back to that people term, some people can't leave to go to the film. So you know what? You're, You're leaving people out of the equation if you don't give them an option to watch it at home. You know, if someone has the newborn, they're not going out, you know, with the family yeah. yet. So different stages of life. And, you know, so there's a lot of, it's just giving that, I mean, that's what technology is enabling, which again, wasn't there before. There have been, you know, there have been positives in a sense that the theatrical windows were too long. They've collapsed mm. more to a place where, yes. And, and, and it's shown that people will still go those opening weekends. You don't have to keep it, exclusively in theaters for four months though and you're leaving money on the table for someone who doesn't want to go who wants to pay 20 bucks to watch it at home that's great too that's also money in the studio's pockets and then we used to call them hbo and wait for hbo movies movies that'll come to netflix or peacock or hbo and they're we call them pay tv windows but then now that's maybe three months and not six months and it saves on marketing costs and it's so there's been a lot of things that people learn through enabled through tech that just were long held for no reason other than that's the way we do it. You yeah, know? The classic, so the, the, we've yeah. always done it this way, so we're going to stick doing it this way. Totally. And what we know always about technology is that it just shakes. It always shakes everything up eventually. I, I also found kind of in the shakeup, particularly of Warner Brothers Discovery, there were some big cancellations that went there. A lot of sunk costs had gone there. Uh, just if you explain maybe the thinking and what had been going on there. Yeah, it's a lot of, unfortunately, M&A kind of re- rationales to what's going on there. So, you know, that deal for Warner Brothers and Discovery, you know, only closed a year ago. Uh, so, w- and there are tax breaks you can get in deal, you know, of a certain window where you can write off costs, those sunk costs, you know, that you have to do it by a certain time, you know, within the either forgiveness or a tax thing. You know, it's a lot of tax stuff, so it's a little bit boring and dry as to why you would do that. And their strategy, you know, changed. David Zaslav, the CEO, came in and he had a different thinking on this whole what HBO Max or soon to be Max uh, needs okay. to succeed. And movies is not on that list. So Batgirl but, was a ninety yeah, million dollar Bat- movie that uh, you know he was like this. A the, look, the, nobody saw the movie quality. Everybody you know talked about this film like it was the best thing ever. Maybe it was. Who knows? Could have been terrible. We all, nobody knows. I mean, the people who know saw the film, but even that's subjective. So. Maybe it is there. If there's a window for you to take that right off, that's when you do it. And maybe we don't need to be doing everything. Again, back to that comment and that conventional wisdom about this is how we've been doing streaming. Well, it doesn't mean you still have to, maybe you don't need to do all this stuff. Maybe we don't need to keep every show we ever existed on the service forever. We can sell yeah. it somewhere else. And again, get the, back to that, what I, that windows again, right? Where we at the top, where we talked about the top, where 
what if someone else wants to pay me for this? Where here it's actually losing me money because I have to pay you know residuals out or whatever to keep this on the service for the 10 views it's getting when I can get a check from Pluto for, you know, not amazing money, but some money and it's it's better than nothing. So yeah. It's a I lot do of, think it, it leads to a problem of people getting annoyed that we, we come to it to expect and netflix actually which we discussed on the top show kind of did this basically if you pay you get everything we, right. we've all grown up now in the streaming era with that mentality and particularly what's gone on at water brothers discovery slash paramount plus i think has really shaken that up you, yeah batgirl was the movie i was thinking of when uh, we were talking sure. about cancellations but there was other stuff that got lost in the mix and disappeared from i mean yellowstone got removed from paramount plus didn't well, it yellowstone was, like was never on hit. it they, they they sold it off before it even really took off so they sold the p and, and this is in the u.s i'm not sure where it, it yeah is i'm pretty sure it's on that it's on, it's on it's on peacock here in in, the, in america which uh but the current season streams nowhere which is the real that's unless you are a certain unless you are a cable subscriber that that logs into the Paramount Network app, which you would never, ever really, you know, so it's like it's, it's in this no man's land because of this deal that they made to sell this off because it was right after the the Paramount deal went through with Viacom and CBS coming back together. They were kind of strapped for cash and they were, you know, they were selling off their headquarters and they were selling the, the building in New York, trying to sell off Simon and Schuster, which is still not sold. They were, you know, what else can we get money in the door with? So that was a victim of that. But back to that larger, I've talked a little bit about this in, in, in the, the wake up my newsletter, but it's this tech promise of the 2010s is unraveling in the 2020s. And uh, yeah, I think that's a very good way of putting it. And the first promise was in publishing and that, you know what? The, they got all the publishers to come and put all their stuff on their platform. So yeah, New York Times come to Facebook and, and then they realized bad idea. We don't control our audience and Facebook can move a lever and remove our business overnight. Okay, we lesson learned. By the way, the New York Times costs $17 a month. We're back to that. Okay, you know, the the the, the publishers that are surviving and thriving, WSJ, Washington Post, New York Times, what do they have in common? They all require subscription. Gannett is losing as a major publisher here. I'm not sure if the, you know, the nuances in the UK are, but America, again, back to that. We threw this old model out for no reason other than technology to, you know, the, the Silicon Valley came in and said, no, 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 we're do this. And you can, we can make it off of advertising and our systems and you get all this data, a total to be a total ruse. And it went away. And then streaming was the same thing. Yeah. Your I mean, windows, give us your stuff forever perpetuity. No. Nope. That's actually no. a really bad model for us. So it's, it's just, this realization is happening in, in, in Hollywood right now that, Oh, yeah, that wasn't, this is, it, it works to your point. It does work for Netflix. That's great. But you know what, but you have to have a scale of 230 million global yeah. subscribers for it to work. I'd have been going for 25 years minimum. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And HBO max does not have that scale. Paramount plus does not have that, you know, and it, the numbers don't work out that well for, so that's what everybody's learning. And from a consumer point of view, this is where the ruse is even worse because yes, you, you, what were you promised? Anything you want all at any time you want at a low price. The low price has definitely been doubled since <laughs> since yes. it started. Apart from two, by Apple. Exactly. Uh, right. Exactly. Even Apple, right. Started charging for it. Yeah. Yeah. And then now it's like, well, not everything all time. It's not YouTube. We can't just put it up forever. There are costs for this stuff. And lo and behold, here's what this, here's what it actually costs. And here's the new reality. So, yeah. And of course, the other thing is we'll talk about what new stuff is going to get into the cinema and onto our screens. 
you need writers for that. <laughs> and um, Funny how that is. Actually. Yes. Uh, and yeah. the writers in Hollywood are not very happy. It looks like we're heading towards a, a writer's strike from the Writers Guild of America. Uh, this is obviously not going on here. I did see that the sister union in the UK had expressed some solidarity uh, with WGA. Just explain the nuances for our listeners of what that row is all about. Sure. So they have a new uh, their deal with the the studios, the um, AM AMPTP, which is the official name of the studios. So that's you know uh, Disney Universal, including the streamers, Netflix, Apple. Um, is up on May 1st. So it has to be renewed every three years, and that sets terms for payments per episode, all the po- you know, work uh, policies. It's a union, so it's a, you know, it's a yeah. uh, representation of the, of the workers. And the real problem is it's, it's hard to make a, wor- a working living as a writer, harder to make a, a working living as a writer anymore because this model that you know, these deals come up every every about three years, maybe sometimes it's five, but I think about every three, this is a three-year deal that it's come up again. And what's shifted in that time period is that these, this business was built on for TV specifically, I'm talking this, you know, so there are other issues with movies, but not as much. Really, this is a t- talking television writing. Yeah. In America, at least, I know it's very different in the UK, actually. I was thinking about this, where yeah. series in, in America used to be 22 episodes on broadcast television. Then they went down to 13, and cable become much more that 13-episode model. I can't, and I write about this stuff and every day. And now I'm only getting 10 episodes of no, Succession, you're not even Sean. Yeah, right. Yeah, barely. And you're lucky you're getting 10 and not 8. You know, uh, Game of Thrones next season is now 9. It's not 10. You know, so, like, it's even dipping below that where all the series orders are now either they're a limited series, which are going to be six or eight episodes to begin with, or if they're a series in general, they're generally eight episodes here in the U S maybe 10. You see, that's interesting because my perception, particularly again, when, you know, watching back friends for the eighth million or something, 24 episodes uh, a season, you know, family guys started that from the beginning, 23 episodes a season. Yeah, it's just, but it's not the case. And I mean, those are rare, you know, Family Guy thinks still does that amazingly, but you know, all these, and, and, and network sitcoms or, and, and dramas do that, but there's very few of those left anymore. You know, that's not the basis of the system. The basis of the system is the streaming business and streaming has shifted to this lower episode order. But the thing about writers is you're generally paid by episode. So you're writing longer to create these, you know, or just as much, let's just say that much to create eight episodes where you would have been creating at least 13 episodes in the past. And there were opportunities for different writers to write different episodes. And you get a large fee when that happens. This is all gone going and pretty much gone away, but the pay structure hasn't changed. And that's what needs to be addressed because that's why they're like, we can't make, you know, I'm, I mean, you're in that series, Charlotte, you can't take a job somewhere else. You're, you're exclusive. Yeah. So, and there's no, right now is that there's a thing they're trying to get called span protection, where there's no protection as to how long they can keep a writer, you know, quote unquote, tied up on a series where I can't take another job. So not only as a writer, do you have to try to take more jobs in a year because you have to make more episodes of TV. You're not going to get 22 a year. You're not allowed to because you're being held, you know, these series are very complicated and very long and you have to sit and you're under contract. So this is all in all the writers' perspective. The studios have really said nothing, Cheryl, which is also the other part of this is that I've seen no statements from them other than we're optimistic and yada yada. But the writers are based there. Richard wrote about this this past week, and the Angler was you know their number one statement is it's very hard to make a middle class living as a writer anymore. 
what are you going to do to change it? What can we do to change this? And that's yeah. their standing, standing And point. the perception of a Hollywood writer is it's a very glamorous life where you're working on a big hit series and you're right. sitting well in the writer's room. driving a car and exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, not so much anymore. Uh, it's just another example, forgive me for saying the obvious, of just how streaming and the digitization of our media has completely shaken up the old structures. I, I notice this actually... Uh, with the most recent se- season of Brooklyn Nine Nine, hmm. um, which actually is only finally just coming to the UK. I was gonna say, yeah, that's a few years the final I mean, one. Yeah. yeah, but it went from again what fifteen twenty episodes a season. I think the last season is eight. And if you were been, com- yeah, if you were a committed Brooklyn Nine Nine writer who's been there from the beginning, bang, you've that's a huge hit you've taken. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just all you know when you're putting out either director streaming series, much more, you know, if you're a writer on Wednesday, that's only eight, nine episodes. All It's so much smaller now. And it's a, it really is uh, a, how digitization and how the spread of our media has completely shaken up these old structures. And the volume too of, you know, you have so many more series, so you yeah. don't have to have 13, because, you know, <laughs> Do you want to watch a series that's 22, 22 episodes anymore? Probably you'd be like, oh my God, when am I going to find time to watch that? But you'd watch three series and eight episodes a piece. You're like, oh no, I did that in a weekend. And you're like, well, yeah. perception is a lot of this stuff. So even you'll see Apple TV this year, I've written a little bit about this, but it's they've amped up their volume. They're dropping a new series or new movie pretty much every week now where they were not doing that a year ago or in their whole existence so far. So they're turning up that volume. And when you're doing that, you don't want to be releasing 13 episodes, you know, a season. You want to be in that eight to 10 wheelhouse. So yeah, the reality is here, the, the contract hasn't caught up to that yet. Especially if you're a Apple TV Plus or HBO Max or whatever, who say quality, not quantity is your thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's another question entirely, but yeah. uh, a little more in the eye of the beholder, so, but yes. I mean, we've just touched on quite a few big issues uh, here, uh, ending with the writer's strike, which I think is a kind of example of everything we talked about before really is kind of the symptom of a lot of the things we discussed so million dollar question sean mcnulty how does this all shake out do i get a million dollars if i get the answer right oh or, yeah we've got uh, a writer's that, contract the way it works? So, yeah no yeah, problem yeah. um i mean you know the guild's the first you know that's the clearly it's it's may 1st is the deadline or probably get pushed back a little bit but that's the summer you know um i think there's very very few people who think there will not be a strike of at least, you know, say at least a month, you know, uh, Richard put his latest odds out this morning or yesterday in his call about what, you know, how long he thinks the strike, you know, what are the odds for each, each duration? Um, you know, there's the, and he's put this theory out and I, I, we haven't seen it yet. Um, but we say this a lot, you know, in the ankler, it's not one business size business model fits all. Uh, so HBO max operates in a way different they do episodes weekly. They don't do all the episodes at once. Succession lasts them for three months. Where Netflix, <laughs> you drop everything at once. So, and they're global, and they have other resources, you know, and and these other services are primarily domestic driven in their content. So, is there from within that the studios organizing the AMPTP? Will there be a rift of well, you got to make a deal with Netflix and Apple because their business model is this. But with the Disney, HBO, and or Disney, Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Paramount and Universal, we're making this deal because you know whatever that might be, that's a long shot probably, but it just can't sustain. And whatever you know, then you just have there are breaking points, and at some point 
uh, things fall apart. And we're seeing that in sports now. We're seeing that in other you know, newspapers. And you've seen it break apart. And what happens? And it just gets decimated. And the quality goes down. All this stuff is TV at that point now is what we're going to find out. So I don't to answer your million-dollar question. You know, it has to be figured out at some We're not going to stop making television. Like, that's not the answer. So no. But Please know what would we talk it? about? Exactly. Will there be less of it? That's you know, a year from now. Will Apple be dropping a new series every every week or every two weeks? Probably not. Do you need to do that? That's what this strike might also if they because if you have to you know kind of uh, you know hoard your series and put them out more or less you know less than you have been turn off the fire hose as we say. And if you don't see a subscriber drop, maybe you're like, oh, we shouldn't have been doing this all along. Why were we spending so much money when we didn't have to to keep our customers happy? Yeah. So that could change Until the whole- Until next time you want to put your price up. <laughs> exactly. If people even notice, you know, who yeah, even knows who checks their bill. It's, it's going to be fascinating to watch how this all shakes out. Uh, you know, are those summer hits going to bring people back to the cinema are we going to get the flow of TV that we want to get? I'm so pleased to have had you on the show to discuss it all, Sean. Remind people where they can keep up with you and all your work. Yes, yeah, so you can sign up at The Ankler. That's the A-N-K-L-E-R dot com. Uh, my newsletter is The Wake Up. You get that every weekday morning in your, uh, well, for you, it's probably a lunchtime read, but uh, here in America, it's a morning read. So uh, every day at The Ankler as part of your subscription. And uh, we also have a podcast uh, called The Ankler, which you can search for on your listening platform of choice uh and i'm at charlotte a henry on the twitters uh, i mean you can find me with that at any social network or at charlotte a henry if you can't find me on the other one um uh, obviously if you're listening to this on substack i hope you're subscribed to the newsletter please do share it with friends who you think might enjoy it uh you can listen to this show of course also wherever else you get your pods and wherever you listen to the ankler so uh do I'm really grateful to have had you again, Sean. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next week.